the political dark. From pavement to Parliament Street, this is your podcast from the York Politics Society. Hello and welcome to what used to be known as your cast, but now has a very exciting new name, new branding, new everything. This is The Political Duck. It's the York Politics Society podcast. It's still the same people, the same thing, but new exciting ideas. And I'm really excited about it. This is the first, first episode, big things. In terms of the name, obviously we are in York and York has a lot of waterfowl including ducks and ducks I think are quite cute they look good in suits as you will have seen by our picture so we're just here to talk about everything that's been going on in politics we've got a few new segments as well just hopefully making it a very exciting listen for your daily walk or whatever you're doing now I guess you don't need to go on daily walks because everything's opening up as we will discuss but yeah today it would be exciting to talk about French presidential politics obviously the election is coming up yes the french presidential election which is next year um is sort of heating up the candidates are really sort of starting to be announced and the um race really is starting to come up in the midst of covid19 and as someone whose um epq was on the 2017 french election this is a, a particular area of interest of mine and so I look forward to talking more about it. And um, yes, I'm very happy to see see where the political duck goes from here. I'm very, I'd like to thank Lucy for the, the name and for the logo, um, it's wonderful, I love it. Um, way beyond any kind of artistic skill or merit that I have, so. So, as we've probably established, Adam knows a lot more about French politics than I do. My knowledge is kind of based on, I know that Macron married his teacher, and I know that a lot of people my mum's age fancy Macron, but I'm not sure they do anymore, because I think he's not quite the sweetheart we all thought. So I'm intrigued, Adam, you're going to have to teach me everything. But first of all, I kind of want to know a little bit about how he even came about. I think this is your EPQ, so go wild. Yes, so uh, for those, for probably everyone listening who doesn't know, uh, my EPQ was on why uh, Macron won the 2017 French election. Now, bear in mind this was uh, done three years ago, so my knowledge, and I did accidentally delete it all recently, but I have a good memory of a lot of the the key points. So (laughs) what was interesting about Macron in 2017 is that whilst he was actually in French politics as an insight, as what we would term an insider in terms of populist rhetoric. He was a finance minister under Hollande for for a time. But what he did was he took himself out and he created this whole new party called, uh, and I'm not going to try and pronounce it in the the French term, but En Marche. I think that's how you, sorry to any French people or French native people are listening. Um, That is a butchering and it's something that will uh, be present throughout, but <laughs> what he branded himself as was this sort of new kind of, of, of politics and this new way of going about things and getting away from the sort of established socialist and republican parties, which was quite prudent because the real sort of context of it before was a very unpopular socialist president in Hollande. Uh, he had had to deal with numerous economic issues. Uh, the terrorist attacks that had occurred in France, 
in that period. He was historically unpopular, um, especially, ironically, partly because of Macron. Uh, he had switched from a very socialist economic policy to one more neoliberal, um, which was very unpopular. Uh, he also, obviously, he wasn't seen to have dealt with the uh, attacks in Paris or in Nice or subsequent attacks very well. Um, so what you had is the context of a very unpopular incumbent president who had very little chance of being re-elected. And the second thing that you had was a pretty, I don't know whether to say historically unpopular, but a historically perhaps divisive second candidate. Now, how French presidential elections work is that it's a two-round system. So what you have is you have the first round, which is all the candidates on the ballot. Mm -hmm. And then if one candidate doesn't get 50% of the votes in that first round, it goes to a second round where there's only two candidates, the two top um, ranked candidates in that first ballot. It's similar to how the London um, mayor elections work. Mm -hmm. So what you saw is the established, sort of what you would consider to be the establishment candidates in Holland and the Republican candidate, Fillon, uh, doing not necessarily, well, okay, I should probably um, correct myself there because I don't, do not believe that Holland ran, ran as socialist, I think it was Mélenchon who ran, ran as a socialist. But what you had is those two candidates falling behind and what you had was Macron as part of En Marche, coming first in that ballot, obviously not getting 50%, and Le Pen, who is of the far right, as it was called then, the Front National, it's now called the National Rally, and she's someone who we will be coming back to uh, later on in the podcast. She was a particularly divisive figure because despite really sort of trying to play down the really far right aspects of the part of that party that had existed under her father, mm -hmm. she was still, and still is, a very far right candidate, very sort of Eurosceptic, Islamophobic. So what you really had was sort of sim. I don't want to say it's similar in a way to the 2016 US election, but you had a very unique set of circumstances mm -hmm. that led to this whole new party and whole new, not whole new candidate, but a, a different kind of candidate winning than what you would perhaps expect from establishment politics. And that's very important going forward because it does sort of inform what we might be seeing in the next year in regards to how those establishment parties resurrect themselves perhaps mm -hmm. and how Macron and actually Le Pen herself will deal with the um the next election so that's pretty much all I have to say mm -hmm. on that um hopefully that's increased your understanding a bit about the context of the the, the situation in France prior yeah, to the 2017 election it's, it's so interesting isn't it how you can have a party from scratch do so well you know it like you were saying it's definitely down to all of those circumstances you know all i can think about is the attempts of parties created in this country in recent years that have flopped after taking you know a quick instagram selfie kind of nothing much happens from there you know it's crazy to mm. see where it's become but obviously Macron president a couple of years and then a global pandemic happened so I'm kind of intrigued to see how France has reacted to that because I've definitely seen that it hasn't particularly been a very successful um, situation for France shall we say obviously they've just gone into their third lockdown I believe 
um, schools are closed and everything like that, um, which obviously we in England know, but it seems that France seems to be a bit further behind a lot of these things. Yes, um, France and the rest of Europe are currently experiencing, experiencing a third wave, which has come in part from our, or what the British government does want to term as the UK variant, but the UK variant of COVID. So what they're really dealing with is, is a sort of delayed wave that we've already essentially had. But the, the issue for Macron is, is twofold. Uh, firstly, like probably every world leader in, in the developed world, he did not want to instigate a third lockdown. I don't know, Johnson probably also didn't, but it was forced by necessity out of the, the increase in cases and the uh, ICU surge that they saw in France. The second problem, and this is arguably the bigger problem that Macron has, is the vaccine rollout. Now, what is interesting about France is, is two things. The main one being that, unlike the UK, it does have a far more significant rate of anti-vax sentiment. Uh, it was quite interesting that a, an Ipsos poll was conducted last year, which found that only 54% of respondents in France would take the vaccine when it was offered. Mm. Uh, in comparison to the UK, and you will find that there are quite a few comparisons to the UK, it's not because I, I feel the need to have a sort of jingoistic um, us versus them against France, but because it is a very interesting comparison. The UK currently, the optimistic prediction is that there will be 94% uptake of the vaccine. And we are seeing that with, especially within the older generation that have already been vaccinated. Yeah, There is a huge difference. And the sure. second problem for Macron in regards to that is that he himself has seemingly been casting doubt upon the vaccines. Um, when it came out that the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine was perhaps not as effective in older people than we thought, mm -hmm. he was immediately the first leader to really sort of capitalise that on that and say, well, the sim I think the, the quotation of the simple fact is it's not as effective as we thought it was. Mm. No other leader really did that. And it has been seen by some, including quite a lot of people in, in the UK, as not only actively trying to undermine the, U <clears throat> undermine the UK in the un aftermath of Brexit, but also playing to the anti-vax population that he knows exists in France. Mm. And that's not necessarily a good thing because with the, the, the third lockdown that they're seeing, it is quite, versus the UK's response, which been I'm not going to say it's been good but it, at least in this stage it seems unlikely that there is going to be another lockdown for a, a good while. Mm. It, it seemed almost counterproductive to a lot of people to really be undermining the vaccine. He is coming into this lockdown with quite a significant disadvantage compared to the UK. Uh, France as of this podcast has only vaccinated 22 out of every 100 adults which doesn't sound bad when you think about it immediately that's nearly a quarter of the adult population but the UK has currently done 60 percent or 60 out of every 100 people or 60 out of every 100 adults so there is a very significant difference and this is something that whilst it might have been seen that the first couple of waves were dealt with quite well in France um, I mean I still remember vivid images from from news articles of on news of, of drones flying around France and 
checking on people being out and having mm. a much stricter lockdown than the UK did. Yeah. It does seem that in this final stage, perhaps in almost a, re- a reversal to the UK's response, France is still starting to, to flounder. And there is obviously the potential that this could harm Macron's chance in the, the presidential election. Although, as we will go on to see, that seems unlikely for the moment. But what we should understand from the 2017 French election is that nothing really <laughs> is certain. For sure. Especially as it is quite interesting, and this was something that I concluded in my, my EPQ, that the unique set of circumstances Macron possibly won't have. Now, I would have never suspected that what, had ha- what would happen in the years... Uh, following would have happened Mm. and what I will say is that there is that sort of not the same kind of circumstances but a very again another very unique set of circumstances that will immediately impact the election yeah okay well I'll bite then what's been going on since Macron became president other than Covid Uh, so Macron's presidency has seen not only Covid but uh a couple of other very significant events um, that have, have impacted perhaps the way that a lot of people have, have perceived him and the way that he's been perceived as a sort of less far-right uh, president compared to Le Pen. Uh, the first thing is the Yellow Vest movement, which, if you remember, took place across sort of the last couple of years, which has been very much defined by um, Macron's approach to economic policy which has been very neoliberal which is interesting in comparison to the PEM because despite being perceived as more right-wing than Macron is Le Pen is arguably more left-wing on her economic policy and that's something that will be quite interesting to see as we go into more of the more of the election Uh, but what it was was essentially built around opposition to the uh, fuel taxes being well, disproportionately affecting lower and middle class people in France, which is something that obviously is reflective of a lot of the, the neoliberal ideology, but also something that clearly has a lot of um, opposition. And what, what was interesting is that what they found was a lot of the people who were participating in these protests were not people who had voted for Macron for people who had either not voted or voted for Le Pen instead. So that is interesting in a fact in and of itself, in that whether there's almost going to be a twofold impact, which is one, galvanising people who didn't vote in the last one to vote against Macron. But again, we have to bear in mind who the opposition is. The second is whether it will strengthen sentiment against him, but also not necessarily lose him supporters. The second thing which may well lose him supporters is uh, his approach towards um, Islam. Now, France has quite a significant Muslim population, but in the last year or so, there's been quite a bit of what has been perceived or seen as quite Islamophobic uh, rhetoric and legislation against them uh, from Macron. there's one bill which uh, aims to move, remove radical ideologies from schools uh, being controversial because it could potentially remove quite a lot of Islam from it. 
And then the second thing is, in the aftermath of the beheading of the French teacher Samuel Paty uh, last year, uh, as a result from someone who was identified as a, a radical Islamist, uh, Macron's comments after that was a general criticism of the lack of integration in society, but especially Islamic communities, which is something that you see quite a lot in, in far-right ideology, this idea of, of not effectively integrating into French culture and the, the implications that come with it being that they should take away their own values and become French, take on French values, which isn't, I, I, I think I'm wrong to say that is necessarily far-right, but it is an argument that increasingly has been associated with, with the far right and the way that they, they operate in terms of their social policy. And it is also something that led to a widespread boycott of French products from various Islamic countries. So it is quite clear that there was quite a visceral reaction worldwide. What will be interesting to see is whether those people who voted Macron to vote against the pen will be turned off by that kind of rhetoric and whether it could either motivate them not to vote or to vote for another candidate in the first round. Yeah, definitely. It seems kind of almost they're left in a position of kind of like between a rock and a hard place with this kind of rhetoric going around, for sure. Yes, uh, it will be interesting to see whether turnout does go down because it is looking likely that Macron and Le Pen will be the two challengers again according to opinion polls, but whether this kind of rhetoric and this kind of, the, the revelation of Macron for being really who he is, which is a very right-wing candidate, is something that is potentially concerning, would be concerning for a lot oh. of French voters who voted, perhaps voted for him because they didn't want to have someone like Le Pen in charge. Uh, as you all have seen, we are now rebranded as The Political Duck, and with The Political Duck, Duck has brought a new set of segments to this podcast. Hopefully these go well. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Basically, Adam, I have a question. I want to know what the duck happened this week. Well, um, there is one thing, but I will be voted of no confidence if I mention it. <laughs> the Across the world, there have been numerous stories that have taken place um in the uk i wanted to uh, raise the issue of david cameron and lobbying with greensill something that will be come back will come back to maybe later was <laughs> another new segment but um obviously it's been quite controversial because it's been found that obviously david cameron had being a former conservative prime minister did have access perhaps unfair access to rishi sunak as chancellor and there is a there of potential quite blatant corruption. Um, in the US, Biden has pledged to remove the US troops from Afghanistan by the 11th of September 2021, which is of course the 20th anniversary of the September 11 attacks, as something that neither of his predecessors have been able to do, and it'd be interesting to see whether he will actually be able to. In Brazil, uh, last week they crossed 4,000 death, COVID deaths for the first time, and is now arguably and are now arguably the centre of the COVID pandemic, despite their lovely president wanting to do absolutely nothing about it. And for a different focus, uh, this time 
focus on Africa. Africa has seen several elections in the past couple of weeks. Now, this is not necessarily an election, but on April 2nd, Niger saw its first democratic transition of power after six uh, or four previous political uh, coups uh, from its independence from France. There have been two presidential elections in Chad and Djibouti. Um, Beauty saw its first its president re-elected for a fifth time. Chad has yet to announce the result, although it is thought that the incumbent will also win. And in Myanmar, finally, of course, we cannot forget about Myanmar, Myanmar and its military coup. Uh, their leader Suu Kyi has been hit with another criminal charge following the trial, following trial during the ongoing military coup. So, Lucy, on a lighter note, what the duck has been going on this week? Well, I'm going to bring the uh, the establishment down somewhat, I suppose. Um, first of all, interesting for us, uni students can go back to um, in-person teaching on May the 17th, which is great timing, May the 17th. I'm pretty sure most university courses will probably be pretty much done by then. So I think this is just quite an interesting event to have happened. First of all, it's one of the only times that the government has actually addressed uni students. So I suppose that's quite nice. Um, but it does feel a bit of an odd time to be announcing it, especially as I could go to literally get my hair cut or my nails done right now, but I can't even go to an in-person social distance seminar. So interesting things going on there. Um, but also linked to that, obviously everything is starting to open up, which is very exciting. Uh, all the non-essential shops and pub gardens, most importantly. Um, I bring this up because of a very funny um, segment on Great Morning on Good Morning Britain, I think it is now, right? Uh, where they, at 8.17am they went to a pub and there were some girls having some pints at 8.17, which honestly, I respect that very highly. That was obviously on um, Monday the 12th of April, the day that will go down in history as a pretty wild day for, I'm sure, quite a lot of people. Not me, unfortunately. Um, Not me either. We're letting the side down. Yeah, I know. And of course, Prince Philip died. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay, well, I think we're um, in the lookout for a new podcast host because Adam is now going in for a vote for my confidence because we said we would not mention anything to do with the big guy. So well done for that. Thank you very much. That has been What the Duck Has Happened this week. Uh, we hope you have enjoyed our world tour of world news and our lack of complete lack of royal news. Uh, that last part didn't happen. <laughs> Okay, back to French politics then. So obviously the big opposition is Le Pen. Um, I'm intrigued to hear what you have to say about her. Well, Le Pen is quite an interesting figure because she isn't the first Le Pen in French politics. Yeah, exactly. Her father, uh, Jean-Marie Le Pen, was the first real Le Pen in uh, French politics. It's a uh, lineage almost as uh, big as the Bush family, but far more far right. But um, yeah, uh, the thing with Le Pen is she very much wanted in 2017 to really, well, before 2017, but particularly in 2017, really sort of what we might term as detoxify the, the party. Now her father is probably about the most far right person you could think of. Uh, very almost neo-Nazi in his, in his views. Now, 
Uh, Marie Le Pen has very much tried to move away from that. Um, she has focused far more on sort of whilst retaining a lot of the sort of what you would term Islamophobic and especially Eurosceptic ideology has tried to focus a lot more on the on the economic policy and sort of making uh, the National Front or as it is termed now the National Rally electable. And what is interesting is that and a lot of people forget this that, that her father did actually get into the second round of one of the French elections um, so it isn't without precedent that National Front has a presence in French politics mm. but it is interesting that she does seem to be the main challenger to Macron again in 2022. Whether this will change the way that she campaigns, uh, she might have the benefit of increased Euroscepticism as a result of the poor vaccine rollout across Europe. That might benefit her because despite Macron going generally more right-wing in social policy, he has retained relatively pro-EU policy. And that's not to say that uh, Euroscepticism is immediately associated with the far right. It isn't. It is just a key aspect of, of policy and a key difference between them. But yeah, I mean, she she has very much in a way sort of detoxified the party whilst also not really detoxifying the party. It's perhaps, yeah. I think, I would highly doubt a lot of our listeners would be voting for the National Front mm. uh, if they were to be voting in the French election. But at the yeah. same time, it is a lot less extreme than it has been in the past. And that is something to bear in mind, not only with the context of the 2017 election, but also with the context of the upcoming 2022 French election. Yeah, for sure. I was thinking exactly that. So if it's not the pen, who else is in the field? This seems very much a two-horse race, from my opinion, but is that wrong? <laughs> Um, yes and no. The thing is that the current opinion polls show that it is most likely to be another Macron, Le Pen um, race. But that is not to say that there aren't challenges now. Now, of course, apart from Le Pen, uh, we have the two establishment parties. We have the Republicans and we have the, the Socialist Party. Um, one of the main challenges in the Republican party appears to be Bertrand, uh, who isn't someone someone who seems increasingly unlikely to get in because the conservative side of the ballot is very contested. Um, there's quite a few, including a certain Michel Barnier, which uh, Brexit fanatics uh, will recall as the uh, head of the Brexit talks in, from the European side. Oh, yeah. So it's unlikely that he's going to get past the first round, but not impossible. Uh, the other one is Mélenchon. Uh, he's very far left. He was a candidate in the 2022 elections. I believe he came fourth in the first round of voting. Again, I think he's very unlikely to um, get to the second round, and even if he did, he'd be very unlikely to get a lot of the more moderate voters on side. Um, the other one from the established Socialist Party, Melanchon is from a, a different different party, not part of the established Socialist Party, is Anne Hidalgo, who 
again, she is one of the few that wasn't really damaged by Holland's massive failure in 2017. But at the same time, it seems unlikely that she's going to get anywhere further than the first round of the ballot. So overall, yes, there are other candidates and it will be interesting to see whether more candidates emerge as we go further on into the presidential campaign. There is obviously the potential for another figure like Macron to appear as a completely new party and as someone really sort of opposed to the... I suppose the main point of opposition from what we've sort of established at the moment is the opposition to the increasingly right-wing social policy on both sides. Yeah. So if there is a candidate that does offer that alternative, but also appeals to a lot more of the moderate voters in France, there is potentially, the, I suppose, someone very similar to Macron in term 2017 Macron. Yeah. But that is, again, seems increasingly unlikely. And it does seem like it will be a replay of the 2017 election. It does give me that opinion from what I've learned today. It's going to be a Macron versus Le Pen, probably Macron winning. I think that's what I'm taking away. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think the, the only thing I would say is I think the margin of victory will be smaller. Now, what was interesting in 2017 is that Macron won quite decisively. It was around mm-hmm. 60 to 40% around that, that, that area. So... I don't think it'll be that high. I think it'll be a lot more divided, no matter who is on the ballot, whether it's the pen or someone else. But I do think he will be president again, because I don't think at the moment there's any real challenges to it. Mm -hmm. The only thing that I think could bring him down is the sort of his attempting to appeal to the same group of voters that Le Pen is. Mm -hmm. And whether that will impact his chances of winning the voters that he won in 2017. Are you a betting man? Oh, I don't I don't, don't think so. I don't, the only thing <laughs> I put on is uh, politics and even then I don't do it that often. But <laughs> yeah, if I had to put any money down and this would be a very small amount of money, <laughs> I'd probably put it on Macron. Interesting. And, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Political Duck Awards. <laughs> Yes, um, welcome to the inaugural Political Duck Awards. This is the award that we make up every time we do a podcast for whatever topic we think we want to talk about. So this week, the Political Duck Award is for the worst excuse for blatant corruption. The award goes to a previous winner of Political Duck Awards for most punchable face in politics 2013 and most likely to appear in Nick Legg's nightmares, Mr David Cameron. Other accolades include the Austerity Society's Award for Even We Wouldn't Go That Far and West Ham's Most Dedicated Fan Award of 2015. Mr Cameron wins this award for his blatant um, corrupt dealings with the lobbying for Greensill, which have come out in the last week. Um, I think it is very admirable, admirable that someone so rich would add, would do so and someone with such connections with politics would have such a revolving door syndrome i think it's you know i i I can't believe that the humble eaton man who whose dad got him to where he was is now doing this i think it's very admirable congratulations to mr cameron for winning this award even though you will never find out that you have won this award 
Um, what, what, what are we going to give him? I don't know. I was thinking we could always print out a certificate and send it in the post. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that'd be quite nice. It could probably go on his wall. Mm-hmm. So, right. Yeah, I'm happy to get to work on that. I'll re-download paint and we can get on with that. So that'd be good. Perfect. So that concludes our podcast on the French election. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed the new segments. Uh, any constructive criticism, though, will, will be acknowledged and we will attempt to work. This is something that we do really want to work on and take forward into a new new place. So yeah. if you liked any of the, really liked any of the segments, if you really liked the structure, if you really disliked it and don't want to be horrible about it, please, please let us know. Yeah, you can contact us on our instagram at the political dark and also of course give us a message on the politics society facebook instagram or our individual we are very excited to take this to new heights Mm -hmm. yeah thank you very much for listening and see you whenever we'll see you the political dark from pavement to parliament street this is your podcast from the york politics society